Seinfeld. The maestro is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys with very differing opinions on the use of chairs during a podcast. I'm Rob Sisterner. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Oh, if you only saw how I was sitting, you would. You would. Uh, that statement has never been more correct. What do you have? A um, rocking chair? I have. I broke the thing about being fat is you break chairs over time for sure. Mm. Like it happens. Yeah. Like people, you, you know, you're only meant to be. And also, I lean in one way, but like you're really not meant over 200 pounds. I feel like the chair just gives up eventually. Yeah, and I'm I'm certainly I'm over 200 pounds. And so wow. like now I, I, I've, I've broken, I think, two chairs in the last few years. So right now I have this, like, rocking chair that my next-door neighbor gave me mm-hmm. uh, when he saw me taking out my broken chair <laughs> to the garbage. Uh, and I, like, sit on it the entire day, and I have a second chair, and I put my feet up on the second chair. And, like, I think I'm getting bed sores because <laughs> I sit for, like, 12 hours a day in this giant, like, l- like chair that le- that's huge and it leans back. And I put my legs up like I'm like in bed half the day. And I did. Do you rock in it? <laughs> like only because only because I think it's like breaking, so it like rocks itself a little bit. But I do. I lean back a lot, and then mm-hmm. I stick my feet up, so I'm like at eye level with the with the computer. And I'm so lazy. I did also like I have a, it's the, I, my office is like a guest room, so there's a bed on the other side. Yeah. So I realized like I have a wireless uh, mouse and a wireless keyboard. So I realized, like, I could just sit in bed and work, mm-hmm. but the problem is my eyes are so bad, I can't see the screen from all across the room. Yeah. But if I had better vision, I would literally, now, from now, I would just be in bed 24 hours a day. Because sometimes when you're not as close to the microphone, I'm wondering now, are you, are you rocking? I am, ro- like, right now, I, I am rocking, but, I, but like, I'll, I'll sort of rock my face towards the mic <laughs> when I... When when uh, when it's time to talk, <laughs> like okay. who, when you're if you start like something, I'm like, okay, this is gonna be thirty seconds. Who knows where I am? I might be like in a totally take a nap real quick on right. this chair. But yeah. but uh, you can get back pretty quickly to the thing. But I I should really take a picture of this setup and post it on the on the uh, the the comments because it's uh, people come in and they're like what this is, you work like this all day you're like uh, and this is probably why I'm in bad shape because. I don't. I literally. It's hard to sit up. Like the chair is so, like it's so comfortable, but it, and it's like so you're so in deep in the chair mm-hmm. that like even if I have to go to the bathroom, I like you know it takes like twenty minutes just like physically <laughs> get out of the chair and it's hot, so you're like stuck to the chair a little bit. Oh my god! So so I'm like you know it, it's it's pro- like even to ask for like if the, someone leaves the door open when they leave, I like have to call my kids and. Say, like, hey, can you, like, I don't, I don't want to get up, because that's, like, a process. It, like, I lose, like, five minutes of work if I try and get up to yeah. close the door. <laughs> and not to get too uh, further down the rabbit hole uh, with this, oh, I, prefer, I like the stand that, I, you know, I'll sit down once in a while for a podcast, but there was a point where I realized I was sitting down in a chair, like, 15 hours a day, and uh, things were trending in the wrong direction, and so I, I do try to stand for uh, as much as I can. I would like to cut down to sit in this chair for 15 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I feel like I'm in this chair 16 hours a day. Yeah. I was thinking about it. So on a bad day, I'm here 16 hours a day. That's probably not good for me long term. Okay. Well, we're, we're <laughs> going to be talking about The Maestro, which has a couple of different plots. One of them is a plot where George is trying to get a chair for a security guard because George feels like the security guard might like to sit down. Uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it is definitely, it's timely to talk about this chair and I would never, it would be very hard to take a job where I would have to, 
where I would have to like uh, you know stand up the whole day. Even when I was a teacher, it's much better when the teacher's standing. It's yeah. almost never good for the teacher to be sitting. I f- I feel like mm-hmm. like you command the room more and Certainly. but it, but you're on your feet too much. I was like I would always like look for that's why it's, you want to give a lot of tests and quizzes. That's when the teacher can sit down. Yeah. Of course, we'll also have the introduction of the maestro and maybe even more importantly, the introduction of Jackie Childs to the greater Seinfeld verse. Yeah, definitely more important. Jackie Childs beats right. the maestro. So a lot to get through here today. Anything you want to talk about before we jump into the episode, Keeve? No, let's get right in. Okay, let's get right into talking about the maestro from October 5th, 1995, the third episode of season seven. Also... Written by Larry David. We mentioned that he was going to write the first three episodes of the season. Yeah, he's got to get him in before he leaves at the end of the season. And this is also, uh, I believe, the first time we've seen stand-up this season. Okay. And the stand-up is that Jerry is talking about how that coffee is just given away. Wherever you go, they are always constantly trying to give you coffee. Now, I think that this is an interesting comparison to make between 2016 and in 1995. I know Scott St. Pierre was messaging us on Twitter about that I saw had spoken about how I didn't think that Starbucks had really blown up by this point. Scott St. Pierre says that in Vancouver it was. So I think that the greater Starbucks expansion had happened in the Northwest, but not necessarily across the entire United States by this point. But pre-Starbucks, did coffee have no value? Where basically coffee is worthless and people are just giving it away. And it's not until Starbucks comes along that people realize, no, coffee is actually worth $2 a cup, $3 a cup, $4, $5 a cup even. Yeah, I do think it was uh, like a loss leader. It was always, it was 50 cents, mm-hmm. right? And it was, you know, it was just to get you into the store to buy a bagel and to buy a newspaper and stuff. It was, so I could see the, you know, the idea of like basically giving away coffee because there are very few things that you want that you go into a store and you, you know, you pay 50 cents for and you could get. And even now, if you don't go to Starbucks, you can still get a pretty cheap cup of coffee. There aren't a lot of like things left there so cheap. Because this episode ends with a settlement of that Kramer can have all the cafe latte that he can drink, which in 1995, you would feel like, okay, that has almost no monetary value. But to walk away with that settlement in 2016... Is not terrible. Yeah, I'll go straight to uh, what Amir said about this. He says, uh, I don't know why the gang looks down on the settlement that Kramer walks away from. With the ridiculous price of coffee, that's a solid payday. At my local NYC Starbucks, for example, a Vente Cafe Latte is $5.44. Mm-hmm. If he gets three of those a day, that's a value of almost $6,000 a year. A lifetime coffee pass could be worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, so I think in 1995, coffee is practically worthless. I think that what Jackie Childson is underestimating and maybe what Kramer is aware of is the skyrocketing coffee market, which is coming over the next 20 years. Yeah. Kramer essentially purchased coffee futures. Yes. Yes. And what you can do also is um, like if you're a Kramer and and we know what Kramer does, like once coffee gets the, you know, if 50 year old Kramer is walking around now, 55 year old Kramer walking around in 2016. You know, with this free coffee pass, he's probably going to people walk into the store and say, hey, give me two dollars. I'll buy you the coffee and he'll just get it for free. Mm. Like This is probably Kramer's business in 2016. Probably Java World ended up going out of business because of this deal. Yeah. Well, like, why doesn't Java World still exist? They just say like, oh, is it like a. Well, did it you know, exist? The, the, well, the, no, I don't think it has. Like the famous <laughs> the, the famous lawsuit is with McDonald's, which they're not, they're not going to like. 
mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not going to mess with McDonald's because they're a sponsor. So you're not going to call it, like, you know, McDouglas's or something and make up a fake McDonald's. Yeah, you, you, know, you have to go like, yeah, you can't really, you can't do that for for this. It's you know, they're they're such a big TV sponsor. You can't really annoy McDonald's. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I do think uh, I, he could have really, uh, assuming it's like a big chain. He could have really drinking them out of uh, house and home. Okay. So we end up seeing the first scene in the episode. We see uh, Jerry, Elaine, and George. And George is talking about how he watched the rabbi. And again, this is sort of a one of the through lines in season seven where things are happening at the end of the episode. And we're talking about them at the start of the next episode where George is saying, hey, I watched that rabbi on TV. What gives, Elaine? Why'd you call me a loser? I do feel like we're in the middle of this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like there had to be more because there was so much that went on and George is too calm about it. I feel like it, it, it's weird. Like we have to, there has to be more to this conversation we didn't see because there are much greater accusations levied at George <laughs> than just being a loser in the, right. on the TV show. Right. Chester brings up in his email, which we'll get to later on, that George doesn't seem to mention the part about that the rabbi accuses George of saying Hey, is it cheating if I get a prostitute while I'm engaged? Right. And may you know, maybe that was like so beyond the pale. Or maybe that wasn't true. You know, we were talking about our theories last week. Maybe that one was just like uh, you know, embellished, so maybe he's not even mad about mm-hmm. that. Or maybe he did say that. He's like, Okay, I can't begrudge her that, but I didn't know she thinks I'm a loser. Right. Or right. <laughs> if it's true, then okay, fine. He, she's just telling that funny story over. Right. <laughs> the loser is is more upsetting to him than the prostitute talk. Yeah, that maybe he sense. led with that. How could you betray my confidence and talk about that prostitute thing I had been talking about? And then, I didn't know you think I'm a loser. Right. And Elaine just plays it off as saying, no, 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 no. I said looser. Yeah, looser. All right. So then Jerry, and this is a recurring theme. It seems like, uh, certainly in this episode, and I wonder if in the rest of the way, where characters are just having their own conversations. Nobody is talking to Jerry about this conversation, or Jerry isn't a part of this conversation. He's talking about his own thing about, I don't understand why people get canned fruit. Right. No one is participating. I mean, we do see, there have been a bunch of times where we see Jerry essentially doing a bit and no one else is playing along. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I, by the way, I agree with, I, I don't agree with Jerry. I think that canned fruit is good. Okay. What's your favorite canned fruit? I, canned peaches can be very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you could put canned peaches, what, in a pie would you use canned peaches? No. Right. I, I mean, I don't, I don't bake. I don't know like what, what people but would do. But you're a big pie guy. Could. I like pie, but I don't know how it gets made. I just eat it. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I used to really like the fruit cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did like that, too. You have those like little things in there that you never see outside the fruit cocktail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like cherry-ish. You know what I'm talking about? They still and make like a red fruit thing. cocktail? Uh, yeah, of course. I'm sure you're like, your, your kid is going to be bringing it to, to like kindergarten next year. No, or something. false. Nobody under 50, I think, is eating fruit cocktail. No, I think kids, kids they don't like, like it? it anymore. When we were kids, people had fr- brought fruit cocktail to school. Yeah, but now you I get think. like fruit snacks, dry yeah, fruit. Yeah, it's probably healthy anyway. You also like in LA schools, forget it. You're probably not allowed to bring like non-organic food into the building. Probably not. Uh, canned pineapple also is strong. Yeah, canned pineapple's good. What, yeah. what do you what's your feeling about um about dried pineapple? Cuz I'm a big dried pineapple guy. 
You know, I don't eat a lot of it. I'd rather have the fresh pineapple, as Jerry says. So I feel like that, you know, if I had it like in a nature box or something like that, like I'm, I'm not going to kick it out of bed. Yeah. Dried pineapple is amazing. Although I did. My wife brought home like a ton of dried fruit the other week. Mm-hmm. And I, the, she, she accidentally left the receipt in the bag. Yeah. And like my eyes have still not mm-hmm. re-entered yeah. their socket yeah. from yeah. that bill. Like <laughs> I was trying to figure out how many days I had to work to pay for this dried fruit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I hear that. Hear that. I feel your pain on on that. <laughs> so, then, uh, George he gets up to uh, leave the conversation. Uh, he has a couple of funny lines like this in the episode where he's like, "Well, scintillating as always." When Jerry is talking about the canned fruit, he's going shopping with Susan. Susan's uncle owns a clothing store. And uh, he's going to get some new clothes. It's funny because Ross's is like a chain of clothing stores yes. now, but it's not like a Manhattan style chain. No, of no, it's a very discount clothing store. And yeah, dress they, for less. Yeah. They ask George if he's going to get a discount, uh, and he says, uh, one would hope. Uh, so we go to see him in the clothing store uh, where we set up the security guard plot line later on. Okay, so now let's go and meet Jackie Childs for the first time ever. Kramer is sitting with him. Uh, what do you want to say to introduce uh, Jackie Childs? You know, it's very interesting because, I, again, I'm not super familiar with Johnny Cochran outside. Like, most of what we know about Johnny Cochran is, like, the Saturday Night Live style, you know, the Jackie St- Childs style portrayal of him. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, you know what I mean? Like, our vision of, of Johnny Cochran is mostly, and now especially, like, with the, the OJ version also, you know, it's mostly, like, based on pop culture. Right. So it's hard to tell like what, you know, but he's clearly doing Johnny Cochran. It's it's still the height of the popularity of the OJ trial. Even a lot of the things that they're discussing are clearly, you know, like discussing the makeup of the jury in terms of coffee drinkers is clearly just a callback to the OJ trial. So right. it's Jackie Childs is is Johnny Cochran basically. But I do feel like that we are on quite a roll here with this podcast with the serendipitous nature that things have been coming up for us here as they tie in the real world events and the Seinfeld podcast, because when we started this podcast two years ago, if we were talking about Jackie Childs and Johnny Cochran, then it would have been like, boy, uh, Johnny Cochran is a name we haven't heard in a while, but really that 2016 has really been the year of OJ between the people versus OJ Simpson. And now this ESPN 30 for 30. Have you been watching this? Yes, I watched it. And actually you get, uh, because the you know there's cameras in the courtroom, you do get a lot of Johnny Cochran in that documentary. So so much Johnny Cochran in the news right now. So a really perfect timing for us to be getting to the arrival of Phil Morris as Jackie Childs. Yeah, and Johnny Cochran actually passed in 2005, so he was not he's not around. Actually, a lot of the attorneys really are, are no longer with us, like mm-hmm. Robert Kardashian. Um, so he was not able to see. You know, he was able to see Seinfeld, but not uh, not the resurgence of the OJ thing. Yeah, and Phil Morris in the Inside Look talks extensively about his uh, portrayal of Johnny Cochran, and apparently he knew Johnny Cochran. He said he went to the same barber shop as yeah. Johnny Cochran for quite some time. Phil Morris, Keeve, refers mm-hmm. to Johnny Cochran as a, a big macha. A big macher? Yes. Yeah, I, d- I do think Johnny Cochran was a big. He was a big macher. Yeah, that's a good good use of Yiddish by uh, Phil Morris by Jackie Childs. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I do like it's hard for me because I grew up and I don't speak that much Yiddish, but like I don't know 
what people know. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll drop Yiddish word and I'm like surprised that's in. But do people know the word macher? I, I was surprised. I, I think that that is. Uh, like how I, do you know it? Just from growing up on Long Island? Like how do you know that word? <laughs> yeah, I th- from growing up on Long Island. I don't know uh, Phil Morris's background. I mean, if, he, if he's growing up, you know, going around to the same barbershop as Johnny Cochran, I, I don't know if it, like. Maybe he was a macher if he's, if he's uh, you know, it's an expensive barbershop probably if Johnny Cochran's going there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So uh, we have Kramer retelling the story of what went on in the movie theater. And, uh, you know, Jackie Childs has a lot of questions about how everything went down. Yeah, everything, every, really everything out of Jackie Childs' mouth is, is gold. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, very funny, and he's asking him about, okay, so did you bring the, mo- bring the coffee into the movie theater? Uh, they want to sell their own coffee at the movie theater, and uh, we get the first time that Jackie Childs gives us one of his trademarks uh, that he says, uh, it's an infringement of your constitutional rights. It's outrageous. It's egregious. Preposterous. Yeah. Do, you th- is there, do you notice, is there any, like in his like, delivery... Is there a tiny bit of Don King also in Jackie Childs, do you think? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's probably a fair point. I, You know, between the People versus O.J. Simpson, Johnny Cochran, it, it, I've lost what the actual Johnny right. Cochran sounded like. Yeah, I almost need to study the tape. Yes, <laughs> to go back and check <laughs> the tape on it. Okay. So we start to get into the idea of, was there a lid on the coffee? And if so, who put the lid on the coffee? Yeah, very like easy to follow like uh, legalese, but it, it this like this makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, did they put the top on, or did you put the top on? Uh, they put the top on, and Jackie Charles is going to uh, begin the research of let's go down to Java World, let's get a cafe latte with a top, uh, and let's bring in Jackie Charles's uh, medical staff. Yeah, I do love that. You get me one coffee drinker on the jury, and you're going to walk out of there, rich man. Yes, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's cut to George and Susan at the clothing store. Again, every clothing store on Seinfeld uh, looks almost exactly the same. Oh, it's the same store for sure. This is the same store as the, the one George is, yeah, the George, the mannequin, and it's the same store. Um, With the lotion? The, yes, the lo- like there's, I think this is maybe even like the fourth time we've seen this clothing store. Yeah. By the way, do you think, you know, it doesn't come up, but... I'm always curious, like, the family discount type stuff, because mm-hmm. they're talking about, does he get a discount? Like, clothing is different because, you know, he's buying it at, you know, if it's fancy clothing, you're, bu- you're spending a decent amount of money on it. So you're, if you're giving it away for free, you're losing money. Um, it's, like, different. If your uncle owns a pizza store, I imagine you can just walk in and get a slice of pizza and not pay for it. Right. So what do you think it would be? Like, just based on, like, I don't know. I feel like my uncles are charging me for this suit. Fifty uh, percent off? Yeah, I think you could get whatever like the biggest discount is, like the employee discount or something. At most fifty, I think. Okay. So Susan wants George to get this red shirt. Uh, he thinks it's too flashy, and so uh, George is being a, l- a little uh, arrogant with uh, Susan about how he's telling her, "Hey, don't change me. You know how many women would love to be in your position right now?" <laughs> yeah. So like, Susan's aware enough of the situation to know that's uh, that's not correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So here comes Uncle Ross, and kind of a weird character that he just drops that. Hey, I'm going on vacation to Costa Rica. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. That's really the extent of Uncle Ross. But I think that they had to just sort of get him out of the mix so that that he could not interfere with the chair storyline. Yeah, because right, he would have he would have said, "Whoa, whoa, what's going on here?" Yeah, let's it check with it, Uncle Ross, where George is sort of like, "Hey, you know, hey, I'm the you know nephew in law here." 
Yeah, and really, you, you know, we could th- we, what we've seen already from Susan in not that many episodes is just a complete destruction of the entire Ross family mm-hmm. by the Seinfeld crew. Yeah, like the store being held up here, the cabin being burned down. To say, you know, to say nothing of what's going to happen in the future, it really, the Ross family are the most tragic figures of the entire show. Absolutely. So George notices the security guard, and George feels like, boy, does he have to stand on his feet the whole day? Doesn't that bother you? And George is going to maybe say something to Uncle Ross. Susan says, no, please don't say anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't like what the security guards normally stand or sit. I'm not even sure. I would imagine that you would want your security guards to stand for many of the reasons outlined in this episode. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, in 1995, it's a certainly a different world where, you know, we are trying to uh, amp up the security. I, I really feel like that probably the mid 90s and, and tell me if you think I'm speaking out of school here, probably you know, uh, one one of the safer times, I would imagine, right? I feel like that of uh, where I think that you sort of like have Cold War stuff in the in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, it, the world 80s. in terms of world peace, I think it's like the the most calm ter- point in the history of the world, basically. Yeah, I mean, you did have the first, but in New York City, it's a little like in terms of like microcrime, it's like. You know, you have you have more robberies in stores than you mm-hmm. would in 2016, though, I think. So some global stability at that point in uh, 1995. But, you know, we have gotten to the point where Giuliani is cleaning up the city. So uh, maybe uh, less crime overall. We're still a couple of years into the Giuliani administration. But anyway, uh, George is, does not seem to be concerned about the actual security threat to the clothing store. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, I mean... It looks like it's a it's a tiny store. Like it doesn't look like there's a bunch of wings and floors from what we see. So it's almost like uh, you know a lot of these a store this size wouldn't even have a security guard. See, to me, I would say I'd be less concerned about the chair. But I always look at these people and I say, boy, uh, I bet they wish they could be listening to a podcast. I bet oh, they totally. wish that they could be listening to something. I'd be more concerned. Not that they're on their feet the whole day. I say, I bet he's bored. Yeah, and I don't know what podcasts were available in 95, but I agree he probably, probably would like Probably uh, <laughs> it would be slim pickings, but even a book on tape for this yeah. guy. I feel what like about like a radio with like Mike and the Mad Dog playing out of the radio, but no anything, headphones? Anything, anything. I, I mean, I had That's a, a great – Mike and the Mad Dog 95, that's like – that's some good listening. <laughs> that would be very good to have that. So you Arguing could li- the l- listen to that. I had a job that I worked like in – one summer I worked in like uh, an electrical store and like, I just like that. I'd have to like sweep the floor and anything. And I would just like, I uh, had, there'd be like a radio on the second floor and I'd just be like pretending I was sweeping the second floor. So I could just listen to the, the radio the whole, the whole yeah, day. I can't, I can't do anything without media. Like I'll go do the dishes and I'll have to like have a, po- if I have to have like a podcast ready. And if I have no podcast, I'll like not do the dishes till the next day when I have something to listen to. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I can't do any, like, I mean, when I was a teacher, you can't just like listen to headphones in class, but that's probably why I'm not a teacher anymore. You know, I feel like anything I do now, there can be noise on in the background. Yeah. Like I judge a lot of jobs that I say like, well, could you listen to podcasts then? I, mean, I wouldn't be <laughs> that bad of a job. Like I think anything is like uh, the worst job. If you could listen to podcasts, it's really not. Well, someone told you told me off the air that the worst part about your job podcasting is you can't listen to podcasts while podcasting. <laughs> well, that's tough. That's one of the challenges of that job. But even like the guy who's like spinning the signs like on the corner and stuff like that, I said, okay, but that guy could listen to a podcast. Nobody would care. No, but doesn't he have to interact with the people? 
Mm. Oh no, that's no, not that. That's more of like the guy with the Statue of Liberty tax costume has to interact with people. Yeah, yeah. the sign spinner can listen to music. That's <laughs> sign true. spinner can do whatever he wants. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so George is in his head saying, "Like, boy, Susan doesn't even care about the security guard. What kind of person am I marrying?" Yeah, which is a fair point. I feel like they have to make Susan a little bit unlikable. You know, otherwise you'd be devastated when she dies. So you think that they are sort of beating Susan up a little bit to uh, make her a less sympathetic figure when she dies? Yeah, she's not likable. And by the way, continuing my theory that Susan is this like bit actor who's way out of her league, she's got nothing to do in this episode either. She has like four lines of three words each. She's a prop. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we end up with uh, going back to Jerry and Elaine at the apartment. And Jerry is talking to Elaine about what did you do last night? She says, I did nothing. And Jerry says, okay, I, I get it. You didn't do anything. But literally, what were you doing? Elaine says, literally nothing. I sat in a chair and I stared. What is that, Akiva? That sounds like depression. Yeah, it sounds like, a, was she a serial killer? Yeah, I mean, but again, like, that's not something you could do now. Now she'd just be on her phone the whole night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so Kramer comes in. He has just gotten through with Jackie Childs. Kramer's wearing sort of a, a weird ensemble. He has a very short tie, which the tie is so short, it almost looks like he's wearing two ties, uh, similar to the style in 2015 in the, in the movie Back to the Future Part 2. Uh, looks like he's wearing two different ties at the same time. Yeah, the jacket is crazy, but the tie is, like, really short and fat. And yes. I, I don't even know where they found this tie. <laughs> Weird. Like, off a clown, maybe. I don't know. Is this a, one of the few times we see Kramer in a suit, and that's why they had to make him look extra stupid in a suit? I could see Michael Richards, like, demanding that they find the dumbest tie in the world for him mm-hmm. to wear. Yeah. All right. So they gets, he gets back from the meeting with the lawyer, and Kramer says, Hey, my, if my lawyer says there's one coffee drinker on that jury, I'll be a rich man. And Elaine gets upset. She says, how does he know all, how all coffee drinkers would vote? I'm a coffee drinker. If I was on the jury, I wouldn't give you anything. Yeah, this is clearly a racial thing with the OJ stuff that they're referencing. Yeah, but it's clever that it's, a, you know, it's, um, you know, a, uh, all, all coffee drinkers are not the same. So uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's not like completely on the nose. No, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, they're able to be subtle enough that, that it's, it's funny. Yeah. And Elaine is taking the side of the defense, uh, or in this case, is it, is it the defense? Yeah. The plaintiff? No, Joe Kramer's the plaintiff. Okay, who knows? Who knows? And <laughs> Elaine says... Where's Chester when you need him? Yeah, I never heard of this. So what do you mean you could sue a company because the coffee is too hot? That was like a big theme of the 90s was frivolous lawsuits. I feel like we're over it now. Like, we know. We've heard them all. But it was like, it was always news. Like, oh, can you believe this? Some robber broke into a guy's house and... Well, hold got on. stabbed with a knife. Are we over it or we just don't report on it as much? No, we're not over it. It definitely still happens. I feel like it's just it, it's just uh, dog bites man. Like it's not interesting anymore. <laughs> okay. So then uh, the, Elaine is told about how it was the faulty top and that's where the coffee lawsuit stems from. Okay, so now we have the introduction. Here comes the maestro, a.k.a. Bob Cobb. Uh, are you a Maestro fan, Keith? Uh, he's okay. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit. He he's a little bit uh, undefined. I feel like he's a little. His character needed a tiny bit more of like motivation or development. Like I don't. But he's fine. I don't have a problem with the Maestro. Yeah, I mean the Maestro. He has a villa in Tuscany, 
and he doesn't want to be called by his real name, Bob Cobb. Uh, he wants to be called the Maestro. I mean, that's a lot for one character in uh, just in, in his introduction episode. It's fair, but we only see him one more time, and he's you know it, like he has to carry this episode because there's not a lot of things, and like I don't know if those two facts carry the episode well. Yeah. Now, to me, when I watch the Maestro, he reminds me of a person that I know from the Survivor world. To me, that I cannot separate the Maestro and Coach Ben Wade. Yeah, oh, he's it's it's incredible, you know, because when the show was on, who knew who Coach was? And Coach, like you say, is a character on Survivor who's way more ridiculous than any TV show could come up with. Right, who's also a composer, and I wonder if this if the traits of being a composer are sort of like is this a stereotypical composer because i only know one other composer and he's exactly like the maestro yes although the maestro is not a community college soccer coach (laughs) he might also be he might be and uh coach ben wade for the uninitiated is somebody who also does not want to be called by his name Benjamin makes everybody refer to him as coach, not maestro, even though he does conduct an orchestra as well. And so, yeah, and very like caught up in if he had a villa in Tuscany, he would not want you to get a villa in Tuscany either. Yeah. And if you asked him if he had a villa in Tuscany, he would not say no. <laughs> sure. He's not like he's not the type of person, you know, to give you a straight answer. Like he might say yes, or he might like go into like a story about Tuscany, some yeah. ridiculous story. All right. So the maestro, he has access to some Chinese bomb for Kramer's Burns. It's great stuff. It's herbal. And so uh, he's a, a good friend to Kramer. Um, yeah, I, you know, I do like when they throw in, like, this is, you know, one of Kramer's best friends, of course. Like, he's bringing him over medicine. He heard that he got hurt, like, for this guy we've never heard before. <laughs> right. And this is a situation where, obviously, okay, this is Kramer's friend, but Jerry knows the maestro. Jerry doesn't like the maestro. George knows the maestro. Elaine really hasn't met the maestro before. So it's, again, one of these weird triangulations of it's like that, you know, half the group knows a person really well and other people in the group have never met the person. Uh, George never meets the maestro, right, in this episode? I think that at the end, there's a point where the maestro is driving away and George is like, oh, the maestro. And... Jerry is sort of like a little dismissive of him. So George at least has a passing curiosity with the maestro. Right. He's curious, but I do think it partially it's because they're always seeing him when he's not around. Okay. So the maestro is, uh, you know, he's coming through and Kramer hasn't seen him in a while because the maestro has been at his house in Tuscany. Yeah. I mean, I guess the like we don't know what the maestro's like job job is. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like conducting the, you know, the Police Benevolent Association Orchestra. But like, I, it's got to be a good job to get him a second house in Italy. Yes. Now, Keeve, how difficult do you feel like it is to rent any place in Tuscany? I mean, if you have money, it's incredibly easy. I mean, they didn't have like Airbnbs then that I'm sure yeah, well, Tuscany's brimming with now. Yeah, you're you, uh, beating me to my point of uh, So I was on Airbnb looking at uh, what's available in Tuscany for this weekend. Uh, There are uh, many rooms widely available in Tuscany this weekend for as little as $50. Where are you on Craigslist? Uh, No, Airbnb. Oh, okay. I'm on Craigslist. Yeah. So you could could get a room easily. Uh, You could get a house uh, pretty easily, too. A, yeah, dozens um, of rooms posted. Yes. And a lot of people looking for casual encounters also on Craigslist. Whoa! <laughs> in Tuscany or other places? No, I'm in, I'm in Florence, Tuscany. Yes, okay. 
So uh, that's that's something else to look at. Uh, that's another po- podcast. But anyway, so Maestro says don't even bother looking for any place in Tuscany. And that really sticks in Jerry's craw. More on that to follow. So Elaine is uh, very interested in the Maestro. And uh, Jerry introduces Elaine to the Maestro and says, Elaine, uh, this is Bob Cobb. The Maestro Bob Cobb. I do like the name Bob Cobb, by the way. Yeah, you don't feel like that that plays into why he wants to be called the maestro so bad that he has a stupid name like Bob Cobb? Well, I just, there's a Bob Cobb in Curb also, so I just think it's a funny name that Larry likes. Uh, He probably got teased in school, but I feel like for a grown-up, it's a good name. Like, no one's going to forget it. Nobody's going to forget Bob Cobb? You don't think... But you don't want want your name to rhyme when you're a kid. (laughs) Because it's going to be like, Bob Cobb is a slob. You know, everyone's going to just rhyme it with other things. So you feel like as an adult, you just want the branding. You want brand. As an adult, you want easiness. As a kid, you want something that's not, ideally something that doesn't have Wiener in your last name. (laughs) You know, like nothing rhymes with Sester Nino. (laughs) I I mean, probably you could could come up with stuff. Or although Rob, you could have had like Rob is a slob. I guess your first name. (laughs) I guess so. Rob Cobb. Okay. So... The maestro uh, wants to be referred to as the maestro, not as Bob Cobb. But Elaine and the maestro have some chemistry. Uh, yeah, I don't. We don't really know why Elaine likes the maestro, but she does. Yes. So I don't know exactly what Elaine's type is. She really is all over the map. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, her and the maestro uh, seems to uh, be a hit. Yeah. Even when he tells her not to, you know, he's like super weird in the restaurant. It doesn't turn her off at all. Yeah. Almost any new male person that comes into the group, it seems like uh, they are immediately vibing with Elaine. It's true. From Keith Hernandez to Bob, Bob Cobb. Like every, basically, everyone is, is at least Elaine is given a chance to. Almost any man that Elaine meets. I mean, we're, look, look at crazy Joe Davola on the street. Yes. <laughs> Just like, oh, okay, you're new. All right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's have they're, dinner. They're at least uh, sponge worthy. Yeah. All right. So then the maestro and Elaine, they end up leaving together. And so uh, Kramer pulls Jerry aside and says, oh, the maestro is going to be mad. You need to call him the maestro. Yeah, it's clear. Jerry's passive aggressively not calling him the maestro on purpose. It's clear. Yes. Kramer says you have to call him the maestro. He's a conductor uh, and Jerry doesn't want to. He says that he conducts, as you mentioned, the Policeman's Benevolent Association Orchestra. Yeah, I, I feel like that's not super high. That's not like the New York Philharmonic, but I don't know how, how like, uh, if you can get below that. It's also weird, like, wanting to be called maestro. It's, it's very strange which titles have, like, a, 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 like you know, you, you have to call someone by that title, like doctor and, and you know, priest and rabbi. And, and, like, then just, like, other jobs that you'd think would have a title, like, don't, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, uh, like, you know, professor gets a title, so like a college teacher gets one, but a high school teacher just is called Mr. Mm-hmm. Yes. Doesn't make so much sense. Also, uh, I think that Jerry may have uh, misspoke. Uh, I know that my, my dad would be a little bit uh, nitpick about this. I, I, think, I believe it's actually the Patrolman's Benevolent Association. What do they do? You always hear about them, but I don't know what they do. Uh, not exactly sure. <laughs> so okay. I have to, with a, <laughs> they have a lot of stickers around, like on the people's yes. cars and stuff. Yes. Well, I think that that's sort of like part of the thing of like you have stickers out and and like if you have the sticker on your car, it's sort of like you know code. Like, hey, don't mess don't mess with this person. They got a right. It's like the Van Buren boys of of stickers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, we end up now going with uh, Jerry and George at Monks, and so. 
Jerry is mocking George's new shirt. And George appropriately said, like, oh, no, I don't like this new shirt. He knows what that Jerry is going to be mocking the shirt. Yeah, and I feel like it's the type of shirt they would never normally put on TV. Like, it doesn't fit with the color scheme of the show, and it does, like, hurt the viewer's eyes. Yeah. Okay, so George wants to talk about the security guard. And he says, does it bother you they make the security guard stand there all day? Yeah, and it's so weird that George is, like, the... It, you know, is the conscience of the of like the show. Mm-hmm. And Susan doesn't care, and Jerry doesn't care. Yeah. Don't you think it's unGeorge like to care? I do feel like that they have explored this uh, George's empathy towards you know uh, people having to like he'll he'll focus on like the wrong thing where you know I could see him wanting to like the cotton uniforms for instance like oh like uh, for those got those players they're out there in those hot uniforms that must be terrible for them but he'll knock over an older woman to get out of a house that's on fire right no you, i guess yeah he has a very skewed sense of what's right and wrong but he does have a sense of what's right and wrong yeah well he he has a sense of what's comfortable or uncomfortable I think that that's not necessarily, you know, that uh, what he's doing to people, but I think that he's very focused on if a person is uh, like able to be comfortable in what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's like if it would bother me, then I'll care about it is what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sort of like is putting himself in that person's position and trying to uh, make things better for them, but sort of like missing the big picture. Yeah. So then... George says here to Jerry that he can sense the slightest bit of human suffering. Uh, and Jerry has a good line and says, are you sensing anything right now? Uh, yeah, I don't we don't really like I'm not sure I'm buying that. Which part that, you know, that George can sense anybody's suffering, that he has any like awareness of other people's feelings. But it's funny. He thinks that at least. Yeah. So uh, they start talking about the chair and the idea of. Should they get him a chair? Is it inhumane to have him stand on his feet for eight hours a day? Jerry makes a good point. What about the criminal activity? He's got to be alert. Right. And again, like how much criminal activity? It's mostly like in a story like this, it's mostly shoplifting, right? It's not like to prevent armed robbers generally. Yeah. Well, the end of the episode happens where that there is an armed robbery that happens because we have the sleeping security guard. Hard to imagine that the armed robbery was planned and that the, oh, he's sleeping. Let's move. Let's move in. He's taking a nap, the security guard. Well, there's only one guy, so it doesn't require as much planning as if it's some team of people robbing a bank. It just seems like too much of a coincidence, right? I almost think it is like this guy's maybe like looking around. He's up to no good. And he walks into the store and he sees, oh, what's this? A sleeping security guard. This is my chance. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that at the end. It does seem pretty wacky that that is what happened. I think that probably what you would want to avoid if somebody is sitting down, you would think it would be harder to see shoplifters that you would think that the the biggest thing like this isn't a jewelry store where you're really preventing like how many clothing stores have an armed robber come in. And, you know, hey, give me all the money in the cash register at Uncle Ross's uh, store for men. Right. Also, a clothing store has like if if you're in a jewelry store, actually, I think you could sit down because everything is just in glass and generally like nothing's blocking your view, your sight. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a clothing store, you got, you know, the mannequins and you have like everything's in really random places. So you can't see anything if you're sitting down in a clothing store. Yeah, I think it's two different things. I think in a jewelry store, you have a guy there who's a guard to prevent some sort of heist. 
Whereas in a clothing store, I think you have somebody who's there to prevent loss prevention of like uh, shoplifting. Uh, yes, that exactly. Yeah, the the clothing store is, is all loss loss prevention. So the guy who's sitting down really can't see what's going on anymore. Now, uh, George and Jerry start to get talking about like, uh, well, can't he just jump out of the chair? How hard is that? Criminals, boom. Um, yeah, no, I I don't know if that really puts you at a disadvantage, but. I could see why, you know, Mr. Ross wouldn't allow it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Kramer ends up uh, coming through, and uh, he says that Java World wants to settle. They're afraid of the bad publicity. Uh, Yeah, you don't want want to go to court against Kramer and uh, and Jackie Childs. Yeah, and Kramer is going to be rich just for spilling coffee on himself. George starts yelling, like, I need coffee over here. Very hot. Boiling. (laughs) So uh, very funny. All right. So uh, we go to our next scene, and we see Elaine and the maestro in the restaurant. And uh, the maestro is talking about the house in Tuscany. And now the waiter wants to know what they're going to get. And Elaine asks, uh, what are you getting, Bob? And maestro says, uh, we need a minute. We got to talk this through. He's deeply offended. Very offended because he does not want to be called Bob. He needs to be called the maestro. He's a conductor. I feel like... If you want to be the maestro, you have to make a living as the maestro. I think that should be the rule. Because mm-hmm. I know, like, I know, I have friends who who have rabbinical degrees, right? They went to rabbinical school, mm-hmm. and now they're like dentists or or uh, lawyers, mm-hmm. and they don't make anybody call them rabbi because they're they're not they just they happen to be like a rabbi, but they're not they they don't practice as one. So I feel like if you're the maestro, you know, once a month for some charity event or, or three times a year, I don't know if you get to be called maestro. Now, I know you said that the maestro doesn't have a lot of depth, but I think that in this conversation, you get a real window into the insecurities of this man because he says to Elaine, oh, it's okay for Leonard Bernstein to be called maestro because he conducted the New York Philharmonic. So it's already that he sort of is like uh, comparing himself to a legendary composer and Elaine brings up the fact, well, I'm sure in social situations they didn't call him that. And the maestro relays this story of how he saw him in a bar once and somebody came up to him and said, hey, maestro, how about a beer? OK, so that's a fact. And, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that that is sort of like showing his insecurities. But Elaine should point out this is a very small sample size. Very Just small sample dime. size. But <laughs> this moment, this fleeting moment that he saw mm-hmm. Leonard Bernstein in a bar changed his life. He said, from, oh, that's what I have to do. I have to be, if people are going to take me seriously, if my life is going to have significance, I need to start having people call me the maestro. Totally. So he's basically putting his whole sense of self-worth on the title that people are calling him. Right. I mean, he's probably like the, the money for the house in Tuscany probably comes from being like an insurance claims adjuster, but he doesn't. Want, that's not what he views himself as in his head. Yeah. Okay. So we then say, okay, Elaine is going to call him the maestro. Okay, fine. All right. So next morning, Jerry wakes up. He's going to get some orange juice. Kramer comes running in. He's frantic. He says he put the bomb on his injury and it healed it. Uh, yes, which is a very bad thing, apparently. Because if the people at Java World want to see the injury, then Kramer no longer has said injury. Um. Yeah, but who who would think like that? Only a lawyer would think like that. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't. I would. Would you ever think like that? Unless the lawyer told you to. No way. It think like what? Where? Like I. Oh, I need to keep these burns on until the end of the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. All right. Because there's already pictures of the burns. Probably. The, uh, I'm not sure about that. Like a good attorney, he's <laughs> snapping those pictures right away. Like they, you want the worst case scenario, even if they stay 
and you could show them at trial. Like I, th- I think that you know, you'd want you'd want like a picture of the worst case. You would think so, but I'm not sure necessarily. Are we supposed to feel bad for Kramer? I mean, that Kramer did have burns to a degree where he needed the bomb, but his burns were so insignificant that the maestro's Chinese bomb cured them overnight. No, I, I feel like uh, we should not feel bad for him. Okay. Again, maybe like he's just sticking it to this evil corporation, Java World. So we don't feel bad for Java World. But, you know, Kramer, it really was not outside of maybe missing the movie last week. He's, <laughs> he really hasn't done anything. He did seem to be in a lot of pain in last week's episode. Yeah, but pain is temporary. Yeah. Glory lasts forever. So George goes to talk to the security guard, and uh, he opens up by saying, like, uh, tired? And the security guard's getting a little insulted, uh, and George says, no, 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 I didn't mean to say that you were, but uh, did they offer you a chair? Right. And it's not even something that's crossed the security guard's mar- mind, apparently. Yeah. Uh, he says, look, if they gave me one, I'd sit down. Yeah. It's all George thinks about, but uh, apparently not, not the guy who has to stand all yeah. day. And George is really feeling like that uh, he has, you know, won this huge battle of like, of course you would. That's right. Yeah. Who wouldn't sit down? So he's feeling like uh, he really is fighting the good fight here. He's a hero. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Kramer and Jackie Childs head over to Java World. Jackie is incensed that Kramer put the bomb on. Who told you to put the bomb on? Yeah, and Jackie Chow's thing is just talking fast and repeating words like 20 times in a row. Yeah, he's great. And uh, talking about, oh, the maestro told you to put the bomb on and you do it. This is a public humiliation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his, his, his name's going to be ruined, Jackie Chow's. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Chow says, uh, no one can tell what a bomb is going to do. A bomb is unpredictable. Yeah, I, I didn't. Is, there, is, is this like, a, like an allegory? To, is this, are they talking about like BOMBs? I couldn't even tell. I, I don't know. I think that uh, basically he's just like, I don't know if he's just improving or what, but uh, it is very funny uh, them talking about the bomb. Yeah. Okay. So Elaine and Jerry are on the street and uh, they're talking about the maestro. Elaine very taken with the maestro. Jerry not impressed. He says Elaine should start calling him Jerry the Great. She's not up for it. <laughs> Do you have any nicknames that you uh, have forced for yourself upon other people? Well... We had Keeve Dog last oh, week, yeah, right? Keeve Dog. Oh, my wife did not was not a fan of that one. Why? What she happened? No, <laughs> why she she heard that someone told her that I said that I should be called Keeve Dog, and she she didn't even know what they Hold were. Hold on, about somebody it. is telling your wife what's happening on the podcast. It's it's not it's not a it's not the best up scenario in the world. I feel like wow, it, could get, it could get bad, right? Yeah, that could get bad. <laughs> Who's? I, I think someone just called me Keeve Dog in front of her as a joke. It wasn't like. I don't think they'd be like, hey, do you know what negative things he said about you this week? <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I, I think our, No I think snitches. No, nah, no snitches, guys. If we find out who's doing it, we will block you from listening to the podcast. I think, <laughs> we'll block your subscription. <laughs> that's right. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think our secrets are still safe. But in terms of making my own nicknames, when I, when I used to play basketball, if I would get hot from downtown, I'd start calling Whoa. myself, th- I'd start <laughs> calling myself uh, Threenaker. Instead of Wienerker. Yeah, because it would be raining triples from downtown. And that would be in the third person. Yeah, well, I was Threenaker. I mean, I, I don't know if I came up with it, but I'm assuming I came up with it. Mm-hmm. And in football, if I would, like, burn someone for a touchdown, I was Wheels Wienerker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, I think we have our hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, then uh, Jerry is still talking about the house in Tuscany. And uh, that Elaine is invited there 
And Jerry's saying, yeah, but he's saying that there's no places to rent there. Maybe he's embarrassed by the Americans. They can't figure out why. So uh, still still bothering Jerry. And there's, I mean, there's no it's clearly that he just doesn't like Jerry and doesn't want Jerry to come to Tuscany. Right. No, I think it's more that he has this exclusive thing where it's almost like uh, Jake Jarmel with the glasses. Like, oh, those are great glasses. Where'd you get them? Oh, I can't tell you. And so no, I don't want anybody else to have the glass. What's unique about me is I have a villa in Tuscany. If anybody else has a villa in Tuscany, then I'm not special anymore. That's fair. So, so it's, that, not, it's not about Jerry at all. Like, of course there are villas in Tuscany. You know, it's just that he doesn't want anybody else to have that, this, this unique thing. Right. So then we have uh, Java World. We start to get a little bit of the inside look of what's going on. And they're talking about this settlement. Look, let's just get this out of here. Let's get, let's get rid of this guy. We will offer him $50,000 and free coffee at all the stores. Uh, which seems like a, not a bad settlement. for Oh, this. fantastic I feel like that, settlement. Fantastic yeah, especially settlement. in 95. This is, like, uh, this is a really good deal for Kramer. Yeah. I mean, what's the inflation on that? What, like 75K, right? Yeah, and it's still, I'd take it in a second. Sure, <laughs> sure. All right, so here comes Kramer and Jackie Childs, and they open up, and uh, they say, look, look, we're, we're not going to waste a lot of time, and we do appreciate that in the 22-minute sitcom. Uh, they say, we'll make this short and sweet, uh, which is how I like my coffee as well. Uh, we want to offer you free coffee in any of our stores throughout North America and Europe, plus Kramer jumps up, I'll take it. Yeah, but what do you think about just seeing the Java World people talk without any of our characters in the room. That's a little bit... We've seen it before. I think we saw it at Calvin Klein before Kramer comes in. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit out of character for the show, right? Yeah, it definitely is. But we need to know for the joke to work what they yes. were going to be offering. So, right. I guess there's no other way for us to, for us to know that. Like, if he just says plus, it would have been... It not as nearly as funny. It wouldn't work. Yeah, I think that they could have shortened that a little bit. I don't mind it where they could have said, like, all right, so, like, just get, get rid of these guys, give them $50,000, and tell them to get free coffee. Okay, good. You know, I think they could probably cut a line or two out of it, but it's, it's fine. You need to have, you need to know what Kramer was turning down. Yes. So then Kramer and Jackie Giles are back in the cab. Jackie Giles, again, berating Kramer about this. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, I'm no lawyer, but this is clearly Jackie Child's fault. How so? Like Kramer yelling, I'll take it means nothing. Yes. <laughs> like, who cares if he's if the client wants the settlement? Like, that's not I mean, yeah, he can force if he's if they say $50,000 and the coffee and Kramer says, I just want the coffee. Mm-hmm. Jackie Child's has no recourse, but he can say, sit down, buddy. And that's it. You're right. So you're saying basically this is not let's make a deal. No, he's a terrible. It's not like you can't. Called it doesn't hold up in a court of law. It's not like shotgun. It's it's not like you know. It, Jackie Charles is a terrible lawyer in this scene. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, it's it's a fair point. I mean, that could they rescind the offer now that they know what the client wants, and then say like, hey, let's hey Kramer, let's just work with you directly. Where they could they cut Jackie Charles out at that point so that they know what Kramer is willing to settle for? You could cut Jackie Charles out for sure, and also Jackie Charles like. If he gets 50 grand, you know, Jackie Charles gets a third or whatever. If he gets coffee, like unless Jackie Charles is also getting one of these free coffee things, he gets nothing from the settlement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jackie Charles says that uh, 20 years of practicing law, he never experienced anything like this. He wanted to hear what came after plus. Uh, yeah, it could have been a million dollars. Like Kramer <laughs> doesn't even know what he's missing. He doesn't know. 
So Kramer sees a Java world. He's going to hop out and get a free cafe latte. Yeah, they must be ubiquitous, like all over the city at this point, the Java worlds. Okay, so uh, we see Jerry and Elaine back on the street. Maestro uh, drives up. Got a nice car, Maestro. Oh, yeah. The Maestro is, it's like he had a few midlife crises. Like one of them, (laughs) crises. One of them, he bought this car, and the other one, he bought the house in Tuscany. Okay, so he's conducting away. And uh, Jerry says, hey, we were just talking about you. Remember how you said there were no houses in Tuscany? But, and Jerry really is without a storyline outside of uh, just harping on the <laughs> villa in Tuscany. Not really the uh, most work to do for Jerry in an episode. No, and more than he had last week. But yeah, he's, uh, he's mostly... Really fixated uh, he, on this. Yeah, he's just he's just you know obsessed with the Tuscany thing the whole episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Maestro says, look, the houses are passed down from generation to generation. And it's very hard. And Jerry's saying, hey, can I get a sublet, a guest room, a cot, nothing? I guess Jerry has not been to Airbnb in the year 2016, apparently. No, there was no sharing economy back then. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So then the maestro, again, just picks up Elaine off the street, takes her to go off in his car. Yeah, Elaine is super into this maestro. Yeah, she's really taken with him and his convertible and his symphonies. And so George ends up walking over again. Great coincidence. Jerry doesn't have to be alone for a second here comes George, and uh, Jerry says, uh, like, "Do you believe this guy, Bob Cobb?" George, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure George never sees him, right? Yeah, uh, and Jerry says, "You know the maestro," and George's like, "Oh, I missed the maestro." Yeah, and Jerry's just like going on and on again about this Tuscany thing. Yes, and George's like, "Oh, you're renting a house in Tuscany?" Jerry's like, "No." And then George just says, "Oh, so why do you care?" So again, they're both sort of just wrapped up in their own stupid things, but neither one sees the real value in their conversation. No, but I think that, yeah, that that works well as like a pretty consistent theme for these two guys. Yeah. So they go back to Monks and they start talking about uh, Tuscany again. And uh, George says there has to be houses to rent in Tuscany. Do you know how big it is? It's like North Dakota. And they're fighting about the size of Tuscany versus North Dakota. Jerry says to George, uh, really one of the meaner things uh, said in the series, do you know how big North Dakota is, stupid? <laughs> and, and Jerry says, well, I don't know why I even bother talking to you. And Jerry says, well, no one's got a gun to your head, uh, which is a line that ends up getting repeated in, uh, the, in the epilogue. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Yeah, they are mean. But I, I do that with my friends. I'll be super mean to my friends. And I don't mind if they're mean back. How much bigger is North Dakota than Tuscany? All right. Johnny Silvera to the rescue. He writes in and says... Uh, that a Wikipedia search reveals that Tuscany is, in fact, one-seventh the size of North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, North Dakota's huge. Like, it's big on the map, and, and you know, there's a, I, all it is is land and a few houses. Like, it's just, <laughs> everyone has, like, their own, you know, 12,000 acres. I don't know why anyone would, would think it's small. Yeah, it's big. It's a big place, North Dakota. All right, so... Name, name uh, one person from North Dakota. Holly Hoffman. Okay. Someone not from Survivor. No, I don't know anybody. I think uh, Chuck Klosterman. Oh, he's uh, from North Dakota? And Roger Maris, yeah. There you go. Okay. So then George is going back to talking about the chair. And uh, so he's thinking about uh, different kinds of chairs. He's thinking about a bar stool. Yeah, I don't know. The bar stool's not big because it's higher up. I think that actually kind kind of works. But it's not super comfortable. Yeah. And so... Then uh, talking about, uh, is it going to swivel? And then uh, what about one of those director's chairs? Yeah, that is kind of silly. 
Yeah. Now, uh, Jerry says he thinks it's a, a little bit of a pompous look. Do you think that that was a shot at anybody uh, who sits in a director's chair on the set of Seinfeld? It could be. I mean, do people even still sit in director's chairs? I think you still have them. I think that the good thing about them is that they fold. Yeah, that is good. You could take them anywhere also. You could take them anywhere, but I think like on a stage or on a set, you can sort of like uh, fold them up. You can put a person's name on the back, and I think that they do have some practical use. I mean, the directors also aren't sitting that much, right? They're like looking into a camera usually. Mm, I think at times, I think, I don't know how much you need to really look through the camera when you are on the set of a sitcom. And also, if you're like, if you're the director and this chair folds up, do you, like, do you sit in that chair? You take it with you to lunch in like the commissary and you're like just eating? You're, nah, you're I don't just, think you need to take the chair with you. I'm pretty sure I would take the chair. Chairs. I would take the chair if I was a director. With you wherever you go to lunch. You know, they didn't mention, what about like a lifeguard chair? Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> that would really be, you could see that. I mean, there would be some practical use to like a lifeguard chair where you could be sort of like, hey, I got the 360 of this whole place. You could see everything from up there. It's true. I do think that the store's big concern, like even if George brings this up to Mr. Ross when he gets back, like the store's big concern would be, is he blocking an aisle now? You know, is he Mm -hmm. like, is he stopping people from being able to shop in that area? Because he's just standing and like he's not taking up any extra room. But (laughs) once you have the chair, like they're very, like a Manhattan clothing store, it's going to be very narrow aisle. So he's going to be like blocking this whole area by sleeping in you know by sitting in the chair yeah jerry remembers oh poppy is from tuscany i'm gonna go call him boy that is a a real out of nowhere detail to remember yeah and it's not like we see poppy here so they're just mentioning by the way if i was a if i was a guest star and they brought me up as like a as a plot point but i didn't appear i would be annoyed Mm -hmm. no i'm (laughs) sure poppy was just thrilled like oh maybe there's gonna be more poppy stories coming yeah oh that's true but i would be like what i'm in the script like i know i I still need my uh my my paycheck for the week now hold on is jerry friends with poppy no they're on terrible (laughs) terms (laughs) yeah he's gonna call him does jerry have poppy's phone number that's another good question (laughs) i think i feel like it's the the phone book back then you could finally get it from kramer yeah okay so george uh they, they go outside, and uh, my, the maestro is driving around, and him and Elaine are singing. Uh, <laughs> Jerry uh, says that he talked to Poppy, and Poppy has a cousin who lives in Little Italy. George is in his own world. He's saying, what about a rocking chair? Not sure why George thinks a rocking chair would be ideal in any way. Uh, no, that definitely, that would put him to sleep in two seconds. But he kind of had it with the stool. Yeah, a stool isn't a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. And now we see Kramer who's like all cracked out on cafe lattes that they're trying to put a limit on him already. Yeah, I do like most of these places. Like I've heard celebrities talk about like they'll get like the Chipotle card or something. I don't know if you've ever. <laughs> no, I haven't heard seen them. Um, so like it's, it, they're generally like good for like one thing per day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not like you could just get maybe like I'm sure like Jared from Subway back in the day. Oh, boy. Not to <laughs> like I'm sure he he could go into any Subway and eat anything for free. I'm sure. Mm hmm. Yeah. And if you wanted to bring guests, I'm not going to speculate. Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah, come on. Keep it <laughs> no, <above but>. board. <laughs> Keep it classy. When it gets yeah, if he, if he, uh, Jared, but I'm saying like someone who's like the pitchman for the, for the thing, like a major person or like a big, like if Tom Cruise called up like Jimmy John's and said like, that's my favorite restaurant, I'm sure they would give him like an all you could eat card. But I don't know if Kramer is getting like, just drink anything forever because then you have like, if there's no limits, then why can't you just bring in Jerry and Elaine and George and just get them all coffee four times a day? 
I don't know. He's been overserved, I think. Yeah, he really is like, uh, he's out of his mind. I, I also think he's like method Kramer, so I feel like he really had the coffee. <laughs> Probably. And he's like, he's on meth right now, so he's very method. Yes. <laughs> right. So we end up with uh, Elaine and the maestro in a, uh, a dark room. And uh, I feel like that this is a theme about the sexual frustration of Elaine Bennis, where we have where Elaine is saying like, oh, Bob, oh, Bob. Uh, And he's like, no, you have to call me the maestro. And it seems as though uh, Elaine is so thirsty. She's uh, (laughs) so, so frustrated uh, that she's like, I'll call you whatever you want. Just go back to what you were doing. Right. Bob Cobb. (laughs) Maestro Cobb to you. Um, Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that. Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to like slut shame Elaine here. No, I'm. We're, we're, <laughs> there's no, no shaming, but between uh, Putty can't do the move uh, that you know. Please, uh, like, I'll call you whatever you want, Maestro. Uh, Jerry is having performance anxiety. It seems as though you know Elaine is willing to go to any length to be able to get somebody to be able to uh, perform for her. Yeah, I'd say over the last 10 episodes, Elaine's, like, constant theme has just been, like, desperate. Yeah. yeah. Like, desperate to talk to the rabbi, desperate for a dude. She's just been very desperate. <laughs> All right, so we go to the store, and George is now bringing a chair to the security guard, and the manager at the store is saying, did Mr. Ross tell you to do this? He should just say yes, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's, not, <laughs> yes. he's, not, he's not reachable in Costa Rica or wherever he is. Yeah. Uh, email him. George says to the guy, well, I'm engaged to Mr. Ross's niece. I'm probably taking over this whole place someday, <laughs> so I stay on my good side. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's really a uh, stretch. <laughs> when that gets back to Mr. Ross, he's not, uh, Mr. Ross is here. He's taken uh, Evan Fane's side, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> well, if the store didn't go out of business after the robbery. Right. I do think, um, you know, he's, he, he says, he says uh, I think later he calls him, he's his uncle. Yeah. Do you would you call like your wife's uncles and aunts your uncle or aunt? Probably not. You wouldn't. You wouldn't say. But if you're referring to them, see, if you were speaking to them, you'd probably call them like Uncle Jerry or whatever. Yeah, I would use it in the first person, but not as a a describer. I wouldn't say my uncle. I would say Nicole's uncle. My wife's. Sure. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. So we have the presentation of the chair to the security guard. He likes it. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. Oh, he's he's going to be sitting on it. Okay, so we have sort of a weird scene with Jerry and uh, Poppy's cousin, is this? Yeah, Poppy's cousin. Okay, his name is uh, Mr. Gigio. (laughs) And so Jerry is sitting down with this person who's sort of like, you know, uh, straight out of one of the Godfather movies. And so uh, he has the house in in Tuscany. And uh, so uh, he confirms to Jerry, yes, here's the house to rent, 2 million lira. Just give me the check. And uh, Jerry is uh, intimidated very easily here. He is. I mean, this. Yeah, I think they're trying to make him into some mob boss that you can't say no to. Right. But he doesn't say at any point, like, uh, like uh, what do you mean you don't want the house anymore? Uh, you're wasting, you waste my time? Uh, right. You don't even want the house? Like, he's just sort of like, uh, yeah, here are the keys. You give me the check. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it's a weird scene. I, it's, uh, I think they might have missed with this scene or the actor. I'm not sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, basically, the most threatening thing he says to Jerry is, uh, capiche? Uh, yeah. No, he's not. Translation, he's not like, you understand? It's like the Godfather. Isn't, he's not, like, physically intimidating. You just know you have to say yes to what he's saying. Yeah. But there was nothing that was particularly menacing. I mean, this is Poppy's cousin. That's true. Okay. 
So then uh, we go back to the clothing store, and uh, the employees are being held up at gunpoint, and uh, we, the camera pans across the room to see our security guard uh, sleeping in the rocking chair. Boy, what a deep sleeper. Listen, yeah, he's on his feet all day. I mean, I, you know, I would fall asleep like that. If what, what's the scene here where the security guard, okay, we have the person, he comes into the clothing store. Oh, security guard is sleeping over there. Okay, great. All right, let me get my gun. And let me come back and like, uh, all right, all right, this is a stick. Right, okay. <laughs> shh, shh, don't wake up that guy. The guy is sleeping. Give me all the money. That's it. Everybody, shh, tell, can you tell that guy over there that the, that the store is being robbed right now? Nobody's sleeping. Right, <laughs> shh, shh. And the security guard has a baton. So I, I don't even know if he's afraid of the security guard. Oh, to be he honest. has a gun. He has a gun. He does? Yeah. And then he, he is packing heat. But he is a very deep sleeper. I mean, it's did they roofie the security guard? That's not. I don't know. And it's also like, what's like? What do you do in this scenario? Like, security guard wakes up. I don't think lives are on the line. He's just robbing them. He's not going to get into like a shootout in the middle of the store with him. So even if the security guard you know, like gets up, I, I I do think that probably he's not going to do anything. Especially, you know, once you wake up, you probably need like sixty seconds just to, like get any sort of bearing. I mean, somebody can't throw a hat at the security guard while he's sleeping. All right. You mean someone should be like kicking him and sleeping and waking him up. Yeah, that I agree with. <laughs> like, like, it is amazing. Like sneeze it, loudly or knock over a uh, rack of clothes or something like to that. To be fair, I would sleep through something like that for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so the security guard, he'll probably be fired for this. Everybody's probably, fired. You think yeah. probably going to yeah, get fired? I think so. I think we're all Everybody's fired, and uh, I think it's a sad day when uh, Mr. Ross gets back from Costa Rica. See, I, I think his vacation's over. I think after the store gets robbed, he probably has to fly back in. They, they sent him a telegram or whatever they did probably. back then. Vacation's probably. over. And, and I, I also think the guy falls asleep because he knows like the real boss is on vacation. Yeah, maybe. If Ross is in the store, he's probably not falling asleep. Very possible. Uh, you don't think this is an inside job by any stretch of the imagination, do you? Oh, that's, you know, this Ross family, who knows what they're capable of, but I don't think so. Well, do you feel like the security guard might have been in on it? <sighs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> we have no evidence that the security guard was in on it. Like, I'll pretend to be asleep in my chair. You come in and rob the store. We'll blame the nephew, the idiot nephew who gave me the rocking chair. Yeah, but he's getting fired. Why is it worth, like, robbing them of $1,000 to get fired? You don't know what they walked away with. How much money could be in the cash register in the middle of the day? A few thousand dollars? I don't know. That's why it's an inside job. It's a small store. It's not like Macy's. <laughs> High-end items, though. It's true. Yeah, maybe every dress is, like, three grand. Mm-hmm. It's true. Okay. So, at the end of the episode, we get the, uh, the cold clothes... And we have uh, the maestro and Elaine in Tuscany. Uh, really, it's, it's paradise. Uh, really don't understand why Elaine and the maestro break up. It seems like that they are having. Ah, a- so that's explained in a later episode. OK, good. Because <laughs> she says that he uh, that they broke up when she spilled the drink on Jose Carreras, her favorite, <laughs> her favorite tenor. Because, right, it makes no sense because there's really sometimes that like Jerry will end with a girl on neutral terms and will like analyze afterwards why they're not still together in the next episode. But here they end on good terms. Like she is goes back. She goes back in with the maestros. But when he comes back in a few months, we'll uh, we'll we'll learn that reason. Yeah. So a uh, very happy times for Elaine and the maestro until a taxi rolls up and uh, Jerry and Kramer come out. Now, interestingly, uh, that Kramer is tagging along on this trip. I think it is notable that Kramer's Java World discount was for stores in North America and Europe. So perhaps there's a Java World in Tuscany, and maybe that was the selling point for Kramer to go. Oh, no question. He could still have his free coffee. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like a million lira otherwise. Yeah. And, and I mean, you haven't lived until you had a cafe latte in Tuscany from Java World. That's true. Yeah. And it is Java World. It is not only localized in the United States. It is a world operation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like the World Series is for every team in the world. Right. So they're sort of have, they're fighting and they're just having like a really annoying fight where they're fighting over 75,000 lira. Kramer, you don't understand the conversion rate. I don't know why I brought you. Kramer says to Jerry, nobody put a gun to your head. And then just so Elaine is like, oh, my friends are such idiots. Yeah. I mean, really, they're just like, it's just going along with this bit just for the sake of being stubborn, which is pretty much in line with what Jerry would normally do. Right. And again, just speaking to this idea of Elaine desperately seeking to change her social situation, her social standing. That's why any suitor that comes along, please take me away from these guys, uh, you know, we'll really see that a lot in the Bizarro Jerry where uh, she's like willing to just like uh, switch. It's just a, a, any any new friends, please let me get, get me away from this group of people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you know, in jail, she doesn't have to worry about them anymore. So really, she wins. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's it. That's the maestro. Yep. OK. All right, Keith. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the different parts of this episode. I guess, uh, who would you say gets the bulk of the episode? Is it George that he has his own stand? Is it Kramer? I, I, I think the, ti- the title storyline is Elaine's, mm-hmm. but uh, George's is probably like the bigger, you know, going, like going for the bigger home run. Well, let me ask you this. Does Elaine actually have a story? Is her story that, oh, she's dating a guy and has to call him the maestro? She doesn't seem particularly resistant to it. Jerry's the one that has the problem. I think she's in the most scenes. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense. <laughs> but she really doesn't have a story. I mean, there is no conflict in her story. No, no. The, the conflict is through the maestro. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, oh, I met a new guy and he wants me to call him a nickname and I will call him that nickname. Right. She's the straight man here. Yeah. She doesn't seem to have any sort of issue with that. And, and I will then go with him to his villa in Tuscany. And I have no problem with that other than, you know, eventually my idiot friends will come there as well. Right. So uh, Lane, I'll give a B. Give a B. That's fine. All right. Uh, what about George with the chair and the clothing store? I think the first time you see it, like it loses its shock after you know the clothing store is going to get robbed. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's pretty funny the first time you see it. So I'll give George an A minus. I actually think the guy who was the security guard was also very good in the episode. Yeah, it didn't they didn't give him a lot, and he was good with yeah, it. Yeah, he's good. So what about Jerry and wanting the villa in Tuscany? Uh, I'll give him a C. Yeah, I think that's probably. I, right. I mean, I like the idea of it. I just don't know. Like, I don't love the scene with Poppy's cousin. Yeah. Uh, I like when he's I like Jerry more in this episode when he's wondering about the fruit cup stuff. <laughs> that that line. <laughs> and then uh, what about Kramer with everything that's going on with Jackie Childs? Yeah, I mean, I like the Jackie Childs stuff. Uh, I'll give, you know, because Jackie Childs in the scene, I'll give Kramer the A. Yeah, at least a B plus there for Jackie, yeah. for Kramer and Jackie Childs. OK. All right. So, Keith, where did the maestro end up in the rankings? Uh, let me... Uh, I think that this should be a new segment in this. Uh, let me try to guess the number. Yeah. Okay. I think we've done that before. <laughs> okay. So it's a, it's a recur. It's we're like Family Guy. We were canceled, and now we're bringing this segment <laughs> we're gonna, back. We're going to bring this two back. years ago. Uh, Maestro, I'm going to say, and uh, I don't have the list in front of me, so maybe I'm giving a number that already has been used. I'll say uh, 83. Uh, lower. Lower, as in uh, lower is in worse, not worse. lower is in it's okay. the best episode, and it's number one. Okay. Uh, 97. Lower. Okay. 105. Uh, you almost got it. 106. 106. Okay. 
right. I, to me, I have no problem if somebody said I, I really like this episode. To me, there aren't a ton of memorable lines. I think this episode suffers on a rewatch more than a lot with the security guard being robbed. Uh, you know, because I think that they're relying on like a kind of a review, you know, like sort of a shock ending type thing, which loses its its like shock value after the first mm-hmm. time you've seen it. So it does. It's not. But this episode is not reliant on jokes at all. There aren't like a lot of funny lines that people will like constantly quote from the maestro. I want to go back to the game for a second. So I, I don't think you should make me guess again. I think it should just be I guess and then. I have to be within like a certain margin of error or I lose. I, I don't think that okay. there should be. What, and what's the margin of error? <laughs> so I should have to get it within. Uh, I feel like that, you know, 10 on either side is too big, but I feel like five on each side is. No, I think I think uh, 10 is fine. I okay. think 10 within 10 on either. But but now I'm going to like play close to the vest. So if at the beginning you're like, what do you think about this episode? I'm not giving you. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to do the soup Nazi. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. I think if I get it within within five, I should be really I should really win. And then if it's within ten, it's like ah, you kind of got it. Yeah. And and if you could get one between now and the end of the series on the nose, um, then you give I me a hundred dollars. I'll give you a hundred dollars. Fine. <laughs> I'll give a char- I'll give a hundred dollars to charity. How about that? Well, now I'll really start studying like where you already like uh, rank. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now you hole? have to bring my sh- my sheet. <laughs> By the way, if people. Because people ask me every few weeks, I did put yes, in, I, I think, last week's comments for people if they want to check. I have the, in the engagement comments, I have the updated rankings of every episode's uh, ranking so far. Okay, so let's get into our email segment. This comes to us every week, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps. All right, uh, Keeve, why don't we uh, get started? Uh, Johnny DeSilvera. Yeah, so he said, uh, you know, he said that Bob Cobb, the maestro's actual name, is homage to the uh, Superman character Mon L, who uses Bob Cobb as his alias. Who knew? I didn't know that. I did not know that. And he, t- he told the Tuscany, uh, North Dakota thing we already said. He also says uh, he works in security, wow. Johnny, and uh, a portion of his time is spent at work. He's sitting down, but he's never fallen asleep. Yeah. Which, you know, I uh, listen, I'm, I'm hiring Johnny as my security guard <laughs> way before the, this, uh, this guy, but. But, you know, I'm sure you've dozed off once, John. Yes. Let's be fair. We've all dozed off at work. Yes. I do find that standing up, especially when I do podcasts, does help keep me more alert. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the standing. I have a standing desk outside where I do a lot of editing. But then I do sit down. Like, and I have like a bar stool that's like a, would be at the same height. Yes. Some people say that they have glass, you know, windows at work so they can't, <laughs> they can't sleep at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to sleep at work if you... If you have an office that's, you know, or if you work in a cubicle, forget about it. There's no naps going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really want to work from home. Like you could fall asleep for three hours one day and no one would ever know. Mm, yeah, I guess nobody would ever know. If, if anything, like I sometimes I'd like I, I need like sometimes just to go to sleep for like 10 minutes. I just need to like reboot. Yes. Yeah. But I, I had that the other day where like I took like a, I fell asleep mm-hmm. um, like right after work. And I and the second like the door opened to my house, I woke up. And I was able to get up and, like, pretend like I was awake. So not only did I get, like, the two-hour nap, but I didn't get, like, the agita of, you know, like, my wife being mad that I was, like, done working. I was just napping back, back yeah. here for two hours. Oh, that happens but, a but lot where... Uh, 12 know. seconds later, if I wake up, then I get, like, oh, you were probably sleeping for the last six hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that a lot of just pretending that, you know, uh, that I was, like, you know, sleeping for a couple of minutes, and then my wife is calling me, and I'm just like, "Oh, I was just podcasting." Oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Elaine, the attractive woman correspondent. We haven't heard from her in quite some time. Mm-hmm. She's back. She said she was listening to the most recent podcast when Akiva said he nicknamed himself Keeve Dog, 
or uh, Keeve Dog as Rob with two G's as Rob uh, fit, saw fit to spell it. I'm afraid I don't think that's a good nickname for you. Too on the nose for someone who doesn't frequently leave the house, socialize with friends, etc. I therefore took the liberty of coming up with some new nicknames. Okay, this is what do you think of this? I'm excited. I'm okay. I so forget like, Wheels Weenicker. I'm not forgetting it. <laughs> forget uh, Threenicker. Uh, yes. <laughs> Elaine, the attractive woman correspondent, uh, throws out there A, Akivalicious. Okay. B, Kiva Gogo. That's a little 80s, Kiva Gogo. <laughs> it's not even hammer time. No. Uh, C, The Kivanator. Okay, I like that. <laughs> These are like the uh, Rob Schneider uh, copy machine uh, nicknames of uh, yeah. She's been watching some 1990s SNL recently. Kiva Gogo yeah. making podcasts. <laughs> the the Kevinator <laughs> or D. Her personal Kivarino. favorite is Keeves. Keeves. Yeah. Wheels Weenicker. <laughs> what about the Kevinator? Yeah, that's what I she like said. That. that was C. The Kevinator. Yeah, Kevarino for like the Kevarino. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I like wheels. I, I'd like from now on to be referred to as, as Wheels Wienicker. <laughs> wheels Wienicker. Okay <laughs> what does Travis Allmendinger have for us? Uh, I was really looking forward to this episode, the introduction of Jackie Child. Uh, outrageous, egregious, preposterous is one of my favorite lines from the show. But what I didn't recall about this episode and what made it so enjoyable on the rewatch was the gold mine of show about nothing conversations between Jerry and George discussing the red shirt, uh, the availability of the property in Tuscany, the chair options for the security guard. I suppose this is the handiwork of Larry David having written the episode. Did this return to nothingness stand out for you as the later season episodes become more plot-driven or feature outlandish gags? To me, Wheels, I feel like that this was too far. I felt like that they were just that they were just uh, shoehorning stuff about nothing in there, and it wasn't even there was no conversation about it. Right. I, the only thing is, to me, it's still one of the best parts of the episode because there aren't a lot of like jokey points of the episode so i hear what he's saying i it it becomes harder to have those moments when like travis is saying correctly that there are a lot of plot things and then in season eight and especially season nine some really crazy plot things that there's less conversation about canned fruit type things Mm -hmm. uh so it's a good point uh sometimes it really works but i guess it didn't you know didn't in this episode yeah it's fun to me but i almost feel like it's it seems like it's just dialogue it's just right. like it's like we're that, 10 seconds light on the episode so. right just shoehorn yeah. stuff in there as opposed to you know sitting around and talking about uh, different ways of pronouncing these pretzels are making me thirsty right i concur yeah okay. all right what about liz okay so liz wants to know have we ever heard or read anything about johnny cochran's opinion or reaction to the jackie child's character well i don't even so know I, if we could I, get john cochran the survivor to comment on it uh no we definitely couldn't we'll, <laughs> we'll call up we'll be like hey this is hollywood handbook uh, do you want to talk and he'll say yes um so I did some research, and I got the answer to uh, oh, Liz's good. question. Um, so there was a, a very interesting article uh, from 1999, the year after Seinfeld ends, about how Phil Morris wants to continue playing Jackie Childs, who, you know, not only is a popular character, but also like a very new popular character, you know, again, is not appearing till season seven, and is a major player in the finale, so he's like fresh on people's minds. So he wanted to play, you know, Phil Morris wants to play Jackie Childs in commercials, the problem is that the show owns the character, right? So you see a lot of Jay Peterman playing like a vague Jay Peterman character in commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, Jay Peterman's been playing that character for the last 20 years, 
but it's not called Jay Peterman. Right. It's right. It's just like generically, that's kind of who he is. But I don't know. Is John O'Hurley any different than that character? Right. We don't know. But but it's he's always the same thing. Even if he's on like Dancing with the Stars, he's still like this, playing himself. He's still that right. guy. He's basically. hosting Family Feud and he's Jay Peterman. A hundred percent. Right. So Phil Morris wants to be, and I assume Phil Morris is nothing like this much more exaggerated character. Um, and he wants to play, uh, you know, he wants to keep playing the character and he wants, you know, they were talking about a spinoff or whatever. And he says, it's, it's an interesting story that he has to call Jerry and Larry every time he gets offered something and they always say no, because it's, you know, it, it's commercial. They're saying, oh no, it's, it's not funny. And then they even have a quote from like the, the, uh, you know, the company that like the overall production company head who says like, it'll cheapen the brand if we have this guy out there, you know, without our words, basically playing the character. And then it makes it less exciting. Like if we ever want to do anything with the Hold characters on. in the future. And how did the soup Nazi do, you know, some Israeli uh, Pepsi commercial? They don't call him the soup Nazi. <laughs> it's just him and you know him by face. The same thing as, as Jay Peterman. So he, Phil Mars could be in any commercial, but he can't be Jackie Childs. He can't be probably can't even be like a lawyer in a courtroom or could anything. Could Phil Morris grow a mustache? And, and change his name to Mill Forrest. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so it, I never thought about that. It's really interesting. So, but to answer Liz's question, he says, uh, Phil Morris says, Johnny Cochran's actually very thrilled. It's me. He's known me since I was almost 11 years old. So it's kind of an honor for him to see me do that character as opposed to maybe somebody else who wouldn't be as kind to him, which is interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's from Phil Morris's mouth. So, you know, I could find no uh, instance of Johnny Cochran addressing it. Uh, you know, so obviously Phil Morris is going to say Johnny Cochran likes it, but I'm, I'm not sure that's uh, that's accurate. OK. All right. Um, we'll assume he liked it. Yeah, but still a good question from Liz. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to find the answer. OK. Uh, then uh, Lindsay writes in and says, George doesn't care about anyone. Why is he so concerned with the security guard? Uh, we touched on that where he sort of uh, really looks at comfort as uh, one of the basic human needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's thinking about how would I feel if I had to sit in this chair all day or not sit in the chair all day. Yes. And then Lindsay also asked, under what circumstances would no one just wake up the security guard when the store was being robbed? And it seems like this wouldn't just happen silently. So you think that he'd wake up on his own? Like I'm surprised, like nobody was screaming in the store or anything right. like that. Like I mean, you have a guy with a gun. Like you would think that somebody would be like, "Oh my god!" Like, Shh. Or maybe maybe he's playing asleep because he doesn't want to get shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if I just play possum, nobody will shoot me. <laughs> yeah, this is the ideal scenario for for the robber. Right, he doesn't have to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, he just coming in and, and the security guard sleeping so let him it's just money let him take it yeah just pretend play dead play dead in any uh situation okay uh then uh, what about amir amir says uh doesn't jerry's storyline here feel like it should have been written for george instead george is the one who would drive to a fake house in the hamptons just to prove a point who flies across the u.s because he has the perfect comeback line chasing down a rental in tuscany that you aren't interested in just to prove that it is something you, that you could rent you know a place from tuscany that sounds much more like something we'd see from george i think that's a good point and then I'd say to like improve Amir's point, couldn't we see Jerry being the one obsessed with the chair? Mm. Like, should we have flipped the storylines here? Possibly. I think that you could see. I, I'm sure if we did a really deep dive, I think we could think of examples that either of the, uh, the characters. I, I think it's interchangeable. I agree. I agree. I, I do think that they're interchangeable. Again, George is really a vehicle for Larry 
But mm. I, a lot of times, you know, you could flip him and it would be fine. I mean, certainly, like with Newman, I could see Jerry like g- going to great lengths to uncover something like Newman said. Right. Something. And this is like a mini Newman, right? This is a guy who Jerry thinks hates him, even if we're not sure he really hates him or not. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. All right. Elaine's comment, Amir says, that she spent the prior evening literally doing nothing, sitting in a chair and staring, gives credence to our theory that nothing <laughs> interesting ever happens off camera that we don't hear about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah we're really, I think that theory is locked in. We're right. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's a good point, Amir. Okay. And uh, let's wrap it with Chester. Okay, here's Chester. Uh, that He has a couple of questions for two well-proportioned individuals. How about that? Can you get a better Thanks, compliment Chester. than that? Uh, I've never gotten a compliment, so that's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chester says, George questions Elaine on the loser jealousy portion of the Rabbi's TV show, but doesn't mention the prostitute bit. Yeah, very astute point uh, from Chester. Uh, also, Chester mentions that Jackie Child says movie theaters like to sell their own coffee. Uh, who gets coffee at a movie theater? I've gotten coffee at a movie theater. I, do, I feel like in ninety in the nineteen ninety five coffees didn't even wasn't even sold at movie theaters. Though. Yes, because I now can't you could stay it. awake <laughs> in a chair to watch. I mean, I, I wish there was a standing movie theater. How about that? Someone was saying that you know because movie theaters have gotten really outrageous with the with the seating scenarios yes. recently yes. to try and drag you in and get your eighteen dollars worth. That that there is someone I was listening recently. Like someone said they went to a movie theater where. The seat reclines all the way back, so Too far back that so far back that if you go a hundred percent of the way back, you can't even see the, the screen. Right, right. So, by, I would just go there and take a nap. And I've, I've, I'm on record that I've fallen asleep in many, many movie theaters. And I would love to just. I, I was just thinking maybe I should go tonight and just fall asleep in a movie theater somewhere. <laughs> What's a good movie to fall asleep to? That's I don't know. Right <laughs> but forget coffee. I need like methamphetamine to go see some of these movies. And they're yeah, going three hours long. Right. I'm thinking. And also you have the endless Coke that if you get, you know, you could have a lot of Whoa. caffeine in there. Also. Oh, OK. Like, you'd have I a lot of sugar you. in there. To, to, but like oh, no, yeah. endless Coke will keep you up for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> endless Coke at the movie theater. I mean, now and now, uh, you know, I'm not worried. I'm like, uh, let's, I think that's, that's that Johnny Manziel. Uh, yeah, let's career. get a double feature going. <laughs> What Titanic and uh, the Godfather Part Two back to okay I'm in yeah, I I, I, I mean to next. me I would never I don't want the coffee because I want the option of falling asleep if the movie's bad yeah <laughs> if it's good it'll keep my attention but if it's bad I want to be able to fall asleep <laughs> all right uh, and then finally Chester adds in as our legal correspondent I'm forced to point out how that Jackie Childs screwed this up. Kramer saying, I'll take it, and shaking the guy's hand is irrelevant. They need to have an executed settlement agreement, a copy of which we see Kramer holding when he's thrown out of the coffee shop for drinking too many lattes. As soon as Kramer yells, I'll take it, Jackie Childs simply should have said, hold on, and restrained his client. So that is the uh, official legal word from Chester. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Key. So, (laughs) or is it wheels? So then... What's coming up next week? All right, next week, a very uh, lovable episode. We have The Wink. The Wink. We, we're going to find out if Pub can fly. We're going to learn about mutton. Okay, good. Uh, that's coming up. I think that we're going to be recording that pretty early in the week. So don't sit on your questions for The Wink. Send them in right away to Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. All right. Also, uh, we do appreciate all your feedback and star ratings. I feel like that uh, the audience is slipping on the feedback and the star ratings, Keeve. Uh, yeah, let's keep them going. We want, you know, we want to beat. Uh, I guess this is, is this this a, is preposterous. This is an outrage. Is this a is this an officially an award winning podcast now? Yes, this is the, the the best TV and film podcast of the year 
post-show recap. So uh, we could use your uh, feedback and honest feedback and star ratings over on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. All right. So, uh, Keith, what's the hashtag? Wheels Wienaker? Uh, yeah, I like Wheels Wienaker. Wheels Wienaker it is. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Uh, and uh, Keith, very excited. Uh, for, keep rolling along here in season seven. Anything else? No, uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, I, we're getting to a really meaty part of season seven. The wink through the soup Nazi is a, one of the better stretches of the show. So I'm okay. excited. Follow Wheels Wienicker on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. And also uh, check out the 32 Fans podcast where uh, what's, what's coming up? You guys are ranking NBA superstars next? Yeah, I think next. I think uh, this week is 100 greatest NBA players of all time. Uh, and maybe for just for kicks, you guys will get into the 50 greatest uh, WNBA players as well. I think that's been done already. But yeah, okay. sure. Sure. <laughs> all right. Uh, good stuff I'm at Rob Sesternino. Uh thanks so much for listening looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com take care everybody bye